Did you hear me? I said he's alive today. Listen, you can go to the tomb of Muhammad. You can go to the tomb of Buddha. You can go to the tomb of Confucius. And guess what? You'll find there remains there. But if you go to that borrowed tomb in that garden, guess what? You can peer inside there and you won't find anyone or anything there. You know why? Because on the third day, Jesus Christ conquered death. He conquered hell. He conquered the grave. He's alive forevermore today. Come on, let's praise the resurrected Lord this morning. Hallelujah. All right, take your Bibles, Mark chapter 15, and here's my pledge to you. I'm going to preach 30 minutes. Now, listen, we started 30 minutes later today than we normally start. So I, I'm not going to be done by 12 because it's 1146. So if you'll give me 30 minutes, and I'm going to do my best to hold to that. I did it in the first service, so I can do it this service. Now, if I go past 30 minutes, blame it on the Holy Spirit and take it up with him when you get out of here. But I'll do my best <clears throat> to stay at 30 minutes. Mark chapter 15. If you've got a Bible, go there, electronic device, turn that on, or you can follow along on the screen behind me. <coughs> I'll begin reading it in the sixth verse, and here's what the Bible says. Now at the feast, he, speaking of Pilate, was accustomed, he's speaking of the feast of Passover here, he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. He was accustomed to granting an act of mercy to a convicted criminal to be freed on that day. Happened once a year. And there was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, speaking of Jesus? For he knew that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? So they cried out again. The crowd clamored and cried and called for Jesus to be crucified. Then Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, Crucify him. Now watch verse 15. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, he released Barabbas to them. And he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him or had beaten him. And really, it's almost like an afterthought there. But I'm going to tell you, that beating Jesus endured that day, if you study it out, it almost killed him. They literally almost beat him to death. And after they had scourged him, Pilate delivered him to be crucified. But wanting to gratify the crowd, he released a convicted criminal named Barabbas. Barabbas was destined to die. You know that, don't you? He was guilty of every crime he had committed. He was destined to die. But Jesus stepped in and took his place. I want to preach for a few moments on this thought this morning. Destined to die inside the mind of a criminal. Destined to die inside the mind of a criminal. Father, bless the reading of your word today. Thank you for the celebration we've already been involved in today for these next few moments just place your hand upon this word place your hand upon me today as I preach God and help me to speak and communicate and articulate the truth in a way that you want me to do it may I say nothing more and nothing less than you have for me to say today through this word to these people in Jesus name the church said amen God bless you this morning you may be seated Pastor Tony thank you today 
as we survey the entire scene surrounding Calvary and the crucifixion. It is my opinion today that Barabbas is one individual that is frequently overlooked. Now, the Bible does not give us much detail about his life or his criminal activity. So maybe you sit there today and you wonder, well, Pastor, why, why focus on him? Why, why talk about such a minor player in the midst of a major story? Shouldn't all of our attention be upon Jesus? I want you to know this morning that if we miss the message of Barabbas, we miss the meaning of Calvary. It is my opinion today that Barabbas experienced Calvary long before you or I ever would. All four of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record a little detail, Brother Turpin, about his life. But contained in Barabbas' character is something that we don't need to miss. Now, according to Scripture, according to study and according to history, here's what we know about this man. First of all, we know that his reputation preceded him. The Bible tells us he was a notorious criminal. We know that he was a murderer. We know that he was incarcerated. We know that he was part of a gang of thieves. He was a robber. He was a rebel who was guilty of sedition. And three crimes that he had been convicted of were murder, larceny, and treason. And those two criminals that hung beside Jesus that day were Barabbas' cohorts. They were his partners in crime. And I began to wonder this week, and I began to imagine, what if we had been standing in Pilate's judgment hall that day, Aunt Dee? And when it came time for Pilate to honor tradition and to grant that act of mercy that would happen every year during Passover, that one convicted criminal would be released. When it came time for that, and Pilate pulsed the crowd that day, and he asked them, who should I release? Who should I grant this act of mercy to? And the people clamored for Barabbas to be released. But they cried for Jesus, the innocent one, to be crucified. I wonder that when the Roman soldier took the shackles off of the wrist of Barabbas, and when the Roman soldier unlocked the shackles that were contained on the feet and the ankles of Barabbas, I'd like to imagine that Barabbas just kind of stood there, just 
just looking at Pilate. Until finally Pilate possibly with just a wave of his hand just said, you're free to go get out of here. I wonder had we been standing there that day. What was it that was going through the mind of Barabbas? As he turned to walk away, I wonder if maybe, Lord, I feel God in here today at this 11 o'clock service. Lord, help you and help me. Pastor, we got news people here. Don't embarrass us. (laughs) We're just going to be who we are. I hope we make it. I wonder if, if he, as he walked away, maybe he stopped and he just looked into the eyes of Jesus. Eyes that I'm convinced were full of love. I don't, I don't know what transpired that day. I, I'm not sure exactly what happened, but my, my imagination just was working this week a little bit. Maybe Jesus just kind of looked at him, just kind of nodded his head. And Barabbas turned, and he he had to have thought, this is too good to be true. I mean, you've got a man here that is guilty of every crime that he had been charged with. There was not an innocent bone in this man's body. He had been sitting in a jail cell. And as he turned to walk away that day, I wonder if as he walked, maybe he was waiting for the hand of a burly Roman soldier to grab him and say, we were were just messing with you. Come back to your jail cell. I wonder if as he walked away and the further he got away from Pilate's judgment hall that day, I wonder if he maybe just kind of kept looking over his shoulder, waiting to be captured and shackled and taken back again. But it didn't happen. It didn't happen. Because Barabbas had been granted an act of mercy and somebody was going to take his place and that somebody was Jesus. You do realize that the cross that Jesus carried, that was Barabbas' cross. You do realize that those nails that pierced the hands and the feet of Barabbas or that pierced the hands and feet of Jesus, those nails belonged in the hands and feet of Barabbas. You know that that day when they tied him to a whipping post in Pilate's courtyard, and they laid that cat of nine tails on the back of our lovely Lord and ripped his skin to shreds, that should have been the back of Barabbas. You know that cross that laid across that cross beam that laid across the shoulders of our Lord as he walked the Via Della Rosa that day. And he made his journey up Calvary's Hill or Golgotha or the place of the skull, whatever you prefer to call it. That walk should have been the walk of Barabbas, not Jesus. And the crown of thorns that they placed on the head of our suffering Savior. And beat down into his brow those drops of blood that coursed down his head and fell down his bearded face. That should have been Barabbas. 
And that sword, that sword that a soldier pierced into his side that day. After Jesus had drawn one more breath, had attempted to fill his lungs with just a bit more air, with everything within him, he cried, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. He cradled that bearded chin on his bloody chest. That should have been Barabbas. But it wasn't Barabbas. Here's why. Barabbas couldn't have done what Jesus did with the effectiveness that Jesus did it with. Because, see, Barabbas' blood was just normal, ordinary human blood. And his blood could not have paid the penalty or the price for our sins. And had it been Barabbas and had they taken him off that cross and placed him in that borrowed tomb, I've got news for you, he'd still be there today. His remains would still be there today. Had it been Barabbas, you or I wouldn't be sitting here today. We would be destined for eternal damnation. But here's what I'm glad for on an Easter Sunday, on a resurrection Sunday. I'm so thankful and I'm so glad that Jesus stepped in and he took Barabbas' place and he stepped in and he took my place and he stepped in and he took your place. I'm glad that he spilled his blood. I'm glad that he shed his blood. I'm glad that he willingly laid his life down so that you and I could be here today, we could have life, we could have it everlasting, and we could have it more abundantly. Thank God Barabbas walked away, and thank God that Jesus stepped in, and that's why we're here today to celebrate the work of a wonderful Lord and Savior. If you're glad about that, somebody praise the Lord today. Hallelujah. And there were many thoughts. I think, that ran through the mind of Barabbas. I've got three, but I'm not going to give you three. Here's one thing I believe that he was thinking as he walked away. There is no sin so gross that God's grace can't cover it. When I speak of sin, I'm talking about missing the mark about trespassing and transgressing what is moral, what is right, what is pure, what is true, and what is holy. The Bible teaches us in Romans 3 and 23 that all have sinned. And all means you and all means me, by the way. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6 and 23 talks about the price, the penalty, and the payment of sin. When Paul would say the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. Thank God for the gift of Jesus Christ. It is eternal life. David would write to us in Psalm 51 and 5 and say, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. You know what that means? I don't care how 
righteous and pure and holy and saved your mama or your grandmama is. You were born a stinking, rotten, filthy, wretched sinner just like me. And you had need of Jesus just like I did. When I speak of grace, I'm talking about us getting what we don't deserve. You understand that we don't deserve the love of God, don't you? We don't deserve the mercy of God. We don't deserve the grace of God. We don't deserve his compassion. We don't deserve his long-suffering. We don't deserve his kindness. I tell you what we deserve. We deserve his wrath. We really deserve his punishment. We really deserve judgment. We, we don't deserve the opportunity to spend eternity with him in heaven. We deserve eternal damnation separated from him forever. But because of the grace of God that simply flows out of this thing called the love of God, we don't have to be eternally separated from him. In the words of the old hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. And I want you to know today, church, there is nothing greater than the grace of God, and there's nothing as wonderful as the love of God. Proverbs 10 and 12 tells us that hatred stirs up strife, but love covers a multitude of sins. Jesus would tell us in John 3, 16, which is quite possibly the greatest verse in all of the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him would not perish but have everlasting life. Don't you dare miss verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I like what Jesus said in John 15 and 13, greater love has no man than this, but that he laid down his life for his friends. Paul would pen a letter to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 2, 4, 8, and 9. He would say, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You turn over to one chapter later, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 19, and Paul talks about the length of God's love, the depth of God's love, the width of God's love, the height of God's love. I can stand here today and I can tell you unequivocally, without reservation, without doubt, the love of God is wide, the love of God is high, the love of God is long, and the love of God is deep. And today, because of that great love, I stand here today forgiven. My sins are forgiven. They're forgotten forever. And the same God who reached down and saved me and touched me can reach down and save you and touch you and transform your life. There's no sin so gross that the grace of God cannot cover it. Oh, come on and praise the Lord today. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your rap sheet may be or what your track record may look like. There's nothing that God cannot cover with his grace. It's good enough for a murderer. It's good enough, good enough for an adulterer. It's good enough for a homosexual. It's good enough for a stay-at-home mom. It's good enough for a professional businessman or businesswoman. God's grace and God's love will never run dry and it will never run out. Hallelujah. I'm glad about that today. Here's the second thing, and I'm going to close on this one. 
Here's the second thing that I believe that Barabbas may have thought. But he could have climbed inside the mind of that criminal. Remember, these weren't accusations. These were hardcore facts. He had been convicted, was sitting in a jail cell waiting death. Here's the second thing I believe he may have thought. Is that you'll never get so high in your pride or so low in your sin that God can't reach you. There's no man, maybe he thought, no man too far gone. No woman too far gone. God can't reach him or reach her. And you do realize you can never get stooped so low in sin that God's hand can't, can't reach you. You'll never get so high in your pride when you think that you don't need God and you can make it on your own and you can make it by yourself. You'll never get so high in a prideful, arrogant attitude that God can't reach up and find you right where you are. I like the words, that old song, when he reached down to tame for me. He had to reach way down for me. I was lost and undone. Without my God or his son, I think Johnny Cash wrote it when he reached down his hand for me. I'm telling you today that the hand of God can reach you right where you are. There was a king in the Old Testament. Come on, Pastor Tony, and help me. There was a king in the Old Testament by the name of David. He was a man the Bible described, God described him as a man after God's own heart. He was the sweet psalmist, the songwriter of Israel. He sat in a shepherd's field, and he penned these beautiful, melodious songs of worship to God. He was David the singer. He was David the shepherd. He was David the sovereign king. He was David the soldier, but you know what? He was David the sinner. And as the king of Israel one day, he should have been out to war, but he stayed back. And as he stayed back that day, he made a terrible mistake. He had an adulterous affair with a woman named Bathsheba. The king now, the man after God's own heart, an adulterer. And then to cover and conceal his sin, he had her husband murdered. I told the first crowd this morning, how to beat any soap opera you ladies ever watched. I mean, it don't get any more juicy than that. I mean, an affair and a murder to cover it up. And David, the king, the worshiper, the man after God's own heart, probably still today goes down on record as possibly the greatest king Israel ever had. He understood firsthand the far-reaching hand of God. I'm going to say that again. He understood, understood firsthand the far-reaching hand of God. And he penned this psalm later on in Psalm chapter 40, verse 2. I love what it says. It says, he picked me up out of the ditch. I love this, the second part here. And he lifted me up from the deep mud. I want you to hear me today. That you can never get so low 
that God can't reach you. You can never get so low in sin or so high in pride that the hand of God can't get to where you are. I've had time this morning, I'd tell you about a man in the Bible named Saul. He persecuted Christians. Persecuted the early church, murdered people because of their faith. One day while he was traveling to carry out more executions and punishment against the church for their faith, God got a hold of him and changed his name and changed his nature. And Saul would become Paul. He would become responsible for writing over half of the New Testament. Paul would describe himself later on as the chief now, the chief of sinners. But that man, persecutor of the church, the murderer of Christians, God would reach down and raise up and use him to establish churches all over the world. I've had time today, I tell you about Peter who denied him, one of the very disciples of Jesus. In a moment when the Lord needed him more than ever, Peter bailed on him and Peter denied him. said, I never knew the man. This is the same man who had walked with him and seen the miracles. He'd seen Jesus raise the dead and cause the dumb to talk. Cause the lame to walk, the blind to see. He'd been there. said, I never knew the man. But it was Peter whom the Lord reached down and raised up and he'd stand up in the book of Acts, Peter would, and preach one sermon and 3,000 people would find Jesus at one moment of time because of this man who preached an uncompromised word from God. Peter denied him. God raised him up and used him. Thomas, doubting Thomas, poor old Thomas, struggled all the time with it. Jesus would show up behind those locked doors that day as they were cowering in fear. He'd say, Thomas, put your hand in the nail prints in my hand. Put your hand in my side. And old doubting Thomas would step back and would say, my Lord and my God. He didn't ask any other disciple to do that, but he asked Thomas to do it. You know why? Because he knew Thomas struggled with doubt. But when I feel the Holy Ghost, I'm glad that we've got a Lord that understands, Pastor Tony, our struggle. And he'll show up at a time when he knows we're struggling and say, listen, it's okay. I want you to put your hand into my hand and put your hand into my side. I'm real and I'm here and I can touch your life. You can step back and say, my Lord and my God. And disciples, listen. Peter, Paul described himself as the chief of sinners. Peter denied him. Thomas doubted him. And all of his disciples that night deserted him. But it's those very men, with the exception of Judas, who betrayed him and sold him out. Some of those very men the Bible would describe as those who turned the world upside down for Christ. Cowards at one time. Hunkering down behind locked doors for fear of the religious leaders. But when the Holy Spirit swept through the upper room in the book of Acts, it blew away all the fear and timidity and the coward cowardness that they had. Here's what I want you to know today. That no matter where you are, who you are, where you've been, what you've done, the hand of God can reach down and touch you today right where you sit. Because here's what I want you to know. God came to where we are. And you know how he did that? He came in the form of Jesus who left the golden streets of heaven for the splintered wood of a cruel cross. 
and took it upon his back, came to where we are, died in our place. Here's what Romans says, Romans 5 and 8, but God. God demonstrates his love toward us. Listen, the Bible defines love. The Bible declares what love is, but Jesus demonstrated love when he left heaven. Left the splendor of that majestic place, the gates of pearl, the walls of jasper, the streets of gold. Left all of that and came and took on the cross. Cruel. Painful. Cross. But God demonstrated his love toward us and while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Do you, do you get, the, do you get the, the weight of that word, the understanding? Do you have that, that while we were still in our sin, Jesus was dying for us? Who else would do that? Jesus. Jesus. And I want somebody to know today that we have a lot more in common with Barabbas than you realize. We're tempted to look at his story and look at his example and say, I can't believe how bad he was. And you, you maybe are sitting here today, Pastor, I've never murdered anybody. I've never stolen anything. I've never committed treason. I've never committed a public uprising. No, but sin is sin. And listen, the foot of the cross is level. There's not categories of sin, and this sin is worse than this sin. And some of the consequences and repercussions are worse than some other sins. But we're just like Barabbas. We're just like him. Jesus stepped in. And I wonder, and I close, I wonder. I wonder what he really thought that day. As he turned to walk away, and he knew that the cross that Jesus was going to lay on was his cross. I wonder if maybe he was there that day at maybe somewhere James hangs around the cross. I wonder if maybe he was a bystander and he watched. The Bible doesn't tell me, but I wonder if maybe he was there that day and he winced as they beat his back and he winced with every sound, every hammer blow upon that spike and he's thinking, that should have been me. And truthfully, not only should it have been Barabbas, it should have been you and it should have been me. Jesus stepped in. Jesus stepped in and said, get out of the way. You can't do this, but I can. And what do you think today? What runs through your mind this morning when you realize that you were destined to die? And for every person in here that has a relationship with Christ, you can answer this. But some of you that are here today, you may not know the Lord. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But what goes through your mind? Today, when you realize that you were destined to die spiritually now, eternally separated from God, but Jesus stepped in and took your place. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 says this, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. I want you to know this today. Jesus never knew sin until he went to the cross. You know what nailed him to the cross? We did. Our sin. Our sin nailed him to the cross. Because prior to the cross, he was perfect. The Bible said he was spotless. He was sinless. 
and he took our sin upon him. Listen, at any moment, hanging on that cross, suspended between heaven and earth, at any moment, he could have just snapped his fingers and a host of angels would have come and taken him off that cross. But he knew, if I don't stay here and I don't finish what the Father sent me to do, people will never have a chance to live for eternity. People will never have a chance to experience my love. While our sin nailed him there, his love kept him there. And you can hear his heart as he looks at those Roman soldiers and says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. If that's not love, I don't know what is. I want you to know today, Jesus loves you more than you realize. For this reason, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. The enemy comes, listen to me, there is a devil that's real today. And his plan is to kill you and to destroy you and drag you off to hell for eternity. But Jesus stepped in 2,000 years ago and made a way and he's offered a plan, a better way so you don't have to die separated from God.